Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. So, the act of grace, the act of grace. Uh, We've been looking at Acts chapter number four in general and how grace impacts a community, and there are certain things that happen when grace begins to work inside of a community, inside of a people that have put their trust in Jesus. Do you know that your faith looks like something? It tastes like something. It feels like something. There's something tangible to it. This is not just philosophy. This is not just something that we sing about. This is not just actions that we take religiously, but there's actually an outworking and an outpouring and a result, a consequence of what happens in a person's life when the grace of God impacts them. When you have a revelation of the fact that you are loved, the fact that God has died for you through His Son, Jesus, the fact that you are accepted in the Beloved, the fact that you are one with Christ. There's something that happens when you recognize the truth of the good news of Jesus is that it begins to change some things in your life and there's some fruit that comes about from that. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Um, But when you hear the word grace, because we are a gospel-centric church, which is a fancy word to say the gospel is at the center, which means that the finished work of Jesus is the centerpiece of our theology. What Jesus did for us on the cross changed everything. His grace changed everything about our lives. If you're visiting with us today, what that effectively means is that we're not a bunch of people trying our best to be better. We're people that instead of trying to be better, we stop trying and we start trusting. We start trusting in what Jesus has already done for us on the cross. And so the cross becomes central. His grace becomes central. And everything we do, we do from that platform, from that place, as a result of the finished work. So we're no longer stressed about, does God accept me? And can God answer my prayers? And am I accepted? And am I significant? We're no longer stressed about those things because the answer to all those things is yes, yes, yes in Jesus Christ. Every single promise is yes and amen in Him. But when we say certain words, people have certain images that come up in their mind, certain things that they associate with that. So my question to you today is, when I say the word grace, what image comes up? What what do you associate it with mentally? What image do you conjure up for the word grace? If I said to you, represent grace for me in an image, what does it look like? Some people would say, well, grace to me looks like a pillow. How many of you see your bed at night and you're like, that is grace, right? That is the grace of God in my life, the fact that I get to lay down my head on a pillow and get some rest. How many of you would agree that if your boss phoned you tomorrow morning and said, hey, I know you went big at the Anchor Bry and you're a little bit tired today for work, you don't have to come into work today. How many of you would say that would be grace, right? And so... For many people, when we say the word grace, we think of a pillow, we think of rest, we think of being able to rest. And this is in the Scriptures, in Hebrews 4 and verse 10, it says, For whoever has entered God's rest has rested from his works as God did from his. So it is a pillow. It is a place of rest. Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight invites us. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. The message Bible says, all of you who are burned out on religion, and I will give you rest. And so grace is really well represented by a pillow. It is 
resting from your effort to please God. It is resting from your striving for acceptance and significance. How many of us chase and pursue and run hard after things because we're trying to prove ourselves? Come on, how many of you are like, I've got to prove to my parents that I can do this. I've got to prove to my peers. I've got to prove to my leaders. I've got to show people what I'm worth. And we do all these things running after some sort of approval and affirmation. How many things do we do because we want to be significant or because we want to be accepted? Sometimes we buy things that we don't need to impress people we don't like because we're so desperate for this sense of significance. And so the human condition uh, is like we're predisposed to striving, to struggling, to stressing in order to find this kind of significance. But the gospel is ultimately rest from all of that. It's ultimately rest from all of those things. It's saying you don't need to strive. You don't need to struggle. You don't need to run after that form of significance because in Jesus, you have been declared significant. Do you know that this morning? That in your life, you've been declared significant. Some of us, we strive religiously. We go, well, unless I work hard, pray hard, do everything that God requires of me to do, I won't be accepted. The gospel is rest from all of that. It's saying you don't need to do a single religious thing to be accepted. God has accepted you in Christ. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus. And so the the gospel is well represented by a pillow. But what if I held up another image today? What if instead of a pillow, I held up a spade? This is an actual spade from my garden. I brought this as proof that I do do physical labor, even though I live in Santon, all right? So, so could this represent grace? This is so different from a pillow. That's soft and fluffy and makes me want to lie down and sleep. This looks like hard work. This has done some hard work. This has changed some things. This has impacted some things. This has brought about some change in some hard ground. This has pioneered so that new things could be planted, so that new things could be done, so that new life could come and could grow. This looks so different from the pillow. So is this grace or is this grace? Is the pillow grace or is the spade grace? There's a few scriptures again that speak into this. 1 Corinthians 15, 10 Paul says, but by the grace of God, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. This is a little bit cheeky of Paul because he's writing about all the other apostles, and he's the one writing scripture, and so, you know, it's like the one with the microphone gets to say what he wants to say. Paul's like, I worked harder than all of them, I'm just telling you. I was the hardest working apostle. But he says, though it was not I. It wasn't me. What made Paul work hard? The grace of God. The grace of God moved him to work harder than all of them. Matthew, sorry, in Philippians 2 verse 13, it says, for it is God who works in you. That's grace. God works in us because of his grace, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, to fulfill his will. God works in you so that you will Not only do the work, but desire the work that God wants to do through you. Acts 4.33, as we looked at before, says, With great power, the apostles gave testimony 
to the, of the re, to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So their ministry was empowered. The hard work that they do, do the work of an evangelist, the work of prayer, the work of the ministry, it involves some work. You see, this is not opposite. God actually gives us the ability through His grace to do things that will make a change, that will bring about change. Romans 12 verse 6 says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So you have gifts in your life because God has given you the grace. Let us use them. Let us use them. Let us employ them. Let us put them to work to serve one another and to build the church and to answer God's call on our lives. So clearly, grace isn't just a pillar. Clearly, grace is also a spade. It's also hard work. It's, in fact, God's divine power and presence in your life that gives you the ability to do the work that He calls you to do. But when you do it in His grace, guess what? You don't get tired. Guess what? You have virtue. Your capacity stretches. It becomes limitless because it's really not about how much capacity you have. It's about how much God's grace has impacted your life. A lot of people feel tired. They, 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 they're running, they're striving, they're working hard, and, they, and you might be feeling that way today. And I've reached that place in my life when I've said, God, give me the grace to do these things I have to do. And God said, no, because I didn't ask you to do those things. God is not going to grace you to run in your own strength. He's not going to give you grace to strive in your own ability. He's, in fact, going to help you by allowing you to come to the end of yourself so that you can finally turn around and go, God, I'll stop striving in my own strength so that I can receive your grace. And in that moment, you will find that your virtue will never end. You will have the ability to endure no matter what comes. You'll be able to go forward and pioneer and do impossible things where you'll no longer consider the weakness of your own body but the power of His grace in your life. Amen? Come on, God is going to do these things in your life. This is what, what He does. This is what grace is. It's the divine power that allows us to do God's will. How many of you have had such a good time hanging out with friends or having a braai or watching Netflix that you went way beyond what you thought was a reasonable hour to go to bed? Just because you were having such a great time and you realize the hours are ticking by, it's 1 a.m., it's 2 a.m., and you're like, YOLO, I'll sleep when I'm dead. You know, like, I'm having way too much fun now until the alarm goes off in the morning for work and you question every life decision you've ever made, right? Every year we enjoy watching the Masters Golf Tournament, which is one of the majors in the golf tour every year. And we enjoy just inviting a bunch of people over to my house and we all watch the Masters together, and usually it gets proper rowdy, and normally people leave my house at like 3 a.m. in the morning, like we, 3 a.m., and, and the great thing for me is I'm a pastor and I work Sunday, so I have Mondays off, amen, right? But everybody else doesn't. They get like two hours sleep, and they have to go back to the office. How effective do you think they are at work the next day? Come on, how many of you know that their KPI score drops a little in that week after not having enough rest? In fact, uh, last year, everybody left my house at 3 a.m. It was a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. But the next day, Ryan sent, me this, sent us this photo, and I'm so glad we have the big screen for this. <laughs> if you can read that, it says, done. Eyes can barely stay open, LOL. How many of you know Ryan didn't do great work that Monday? 
You know why? He didn't have rest. He didn't have rest. Okay, you can take it off. It's scary. <laughs> Ryan's KPI score dropped slightly after that work week. And so here's the point. God has given us rest in Christ, not so that we would be less effective, but so that we would be more effective than ever, more able, more capable, more powerful in everything that we do. When you work from a place of rest, we're able to do so much more. And so the gospel actually isn't just saying, well, you know, now we don't have to do all of those things. It actually means that God has given us the divine ability and the divine rest so that we can work from that place of rest, not striving for significance, but making an actual difference in every regard. Jesus has given us the ability through his rest to fulfill the potential that he has given us and be more effective than ever. This is what it begins to look like. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, instead of doing it in your own strength, instead of trying to run in your own power, instead of trying to overcome things in your own strength, those who wait on the Lord, that is a statement of faith. When you can step back, be still and know that I am God. When you wait on the Lord, what happens? When it's no longer your strength, but you're trusting in God's strength, it says, you shall renew your strength. Your strength will be renewed. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. How many, how many of you know that's a miracle? Any of you try to run recently, right? Like I did this silly thing a while ago. I decided I was going to try and run four kilometers for 40 days in a row, right? First day, I've got my shoes on. I'm ready. I'm like, I can do this. From my house, it's a bit of an uphill. 300 meters later, I was like, why would I do this to myself, right? To run and not grow, grow weary is a supernatural thing. It's what happens when God's grace is in your life. Some of you are like, I can't do this anymore. Hey, I just want to, I can't do this anymore. I can't do, you can. You can. You know why? You're not doing it in your own strength. Wait on the Lord, let your strength be renewed, and then run, and you will not grow weary. We've got to stop speaking doubt over our lives. We've got to stop saying, I can't do it. I just can't do it. You can do it by the grace of God. As you lean in to Him, as you trust in him. Watchman Nee said it this way. He said, whereas God worked six days and then enjoyed his Sabbath rest, Adam began his life with the Sabbath. The seventh day, the day of the Sabbath, was the first day of Adam's life. For God works before he rests, while man must first enter into God's rest, and then alone can he work. We can only truly be effective and truly do what God has called us to do when we've rested in Jesus first. And so it turns out grace is both the pillow and the spade. It's both things. And why, you know, th this is actually why grace offends us. Do you know why people resist grace? Because it entirely eradicates the place of excuses. When you're under the law, you can go, well, I'm just a flawed human being. Like, I, I, I'm imperfect, and I'm struggling, and, and, you know, I know that God calls me to certain things to serve and to give and to share my faith and to be a part of something bigger and to, and to live life in a, in, in a, with a certain orientation, a certain perspective of faith, to trust in Him through hardships and to, and to you know, it, it relates to every part of our lives, how we relate to others and to our careers and to everything, how we serve Him. And we go, well, I'm just flawed. 
Because, you know, the law is there, but no one can fulfill the law. And so the law is actually a really great way to give yourself a ready-made excuse. And so when Jesus comes and he says, no, 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 it's, you're no longer under the law. You're under grace. What he's actually saying is, that's why he said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Like, you've got to get your righteousness from somewhere else than just human effort. You've got to get it from me. And when we're in Christ, we no longer have the excuse. We no longer can say that we don't have what it takes because God has given it to us. When people say, I just can't do it, I don't have what it takes, that's true. But that's why God gave you His grace. So now you can do what you couldn't have done in your own strength. Except it's not you, but it's Christ working through you. This is the power of the gospel. Oh, really? So you mean that I have no excuse for being lazy and uncommitted? Exactly. Christ is in you. Christ is in you. Yeah, I don't think I believe in grace. Yeah, I'm not so sure. That, I, I think I'm going to stick to the law. I think I'm going to just try it in my own strength because at least that way I have an excuse. So if I could represent grace the most accurately today, it would look a little something like this. It's the spade in the pillow. I rest so I can work. I trust in Jesus so I can pioneer. I believe in God's grace in my life and I know who I am. My significance is settled so I can make a difference in the lives of others. I trust God to provide for me so I can give. I know what he's done in my life so I can share my faith. I have the rest and therefore I can work. I've gone to bed. I've slept. I've trusted that, that image is an image of knowing the end of your own strength, and I've put my faith in Jesus. Therefore, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The spade is in the pillow. The power is in the rest, and it comes out from within the rest. When you've rested in Jesus, nothing is impossible any longer, and God will use you. This is not just a general term. He will use your life to effect more change than you ever dreamed of because you were in Christ, because you rested in Him, because Jesus has done it all. Martin Luther, who really had this revelation in the 16th century, and his writings led to the reformation of the church in the 16th century. He said this, he said, we are saved by faith alone. It's by grace alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. In other words, when God's grace has impacted your life, there will be some real consequences, some real life change. When people say, yeah, I have faith in Jesus, but their lives don't change, it casts a shadow of doubt as to whether or not they've truly come to understand what Jesus has done for them. It casts a shadow of doubt as to whether they really understand grace. Because when grace is there, you see it. It impacts, it changes, it brings about something that looks different. Your life changes. Have any of you here ever watched the show Naked and Afraid? It's a real show. It's on the Discovery Channel. And uh, some of you are thinking, if people saw me naked, they would be afraid. But it's, a diff it's different. This is actually, if you haven't heard about it, it's actually a survival show where they cause people, they, they take people out into the harshest environments, and they have to survive for 21 days in the bush there, providing for themselves, you know, finding things to eat, building themselves a shelter, and on top of that, they're naked, all right? So they live this way for 21 days, and in Naked and Afraid XL, 
40 days that they live and survive naked. And the question is, why would anybody do that? And we don't know. But anyway, sometimes it's entertaining to watch. And as they're going around, they have to find food. The simplest way to find food is to find fruit because it doesn't run away and you can generally just get a hold of it, right? And so if you can find something, some vegetation, some plant or some fruit that you can eat, it is a great step towards your survival. Now, how many of them, what, would you, what do they need to find in order to find the fruit to be able to, to survive? They need to find fruit trees, right? It's amazing logic there. You, you need, if you want fruit, you need to find a fruit tree. And this is actually an example that Jesus uses. He says, how many of you, if you were looking for grapes, go to the thistles or find the thorn bush? How many of you, when you're like, I really feel like some good fruit, let me go to the thorn bush or the cactus or the... No, we go to the fruit trees for the fruit. In the same way, Jesus said, people will know your faith, the authenticity of your faith, by the fruit that exists. Because a good tree can only produce good fruit, and a bad tree can only produce bad fruit. You'll never go to uh, an apple tree to find oranges. And if you asked an apple tree to try and produce oranges, it would fail dismally, because no matter how hard it tries, it can only produce what it already is. And this is what Jesus is saying. When your life has changed, you don't have to strive to produce the fruit. It's a natural outcome. An apple tree doesn't even have to think about producing. It just produces because it is. So you can be faithful because God has made you faithful. You can give because God has made you generous. You can love people because God has made you loving. It's who you are in Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is what the Holy Spirit produces through our lives. And this is the evidence of our faith. So grace, great grace means great fruit. And there's one area that we, we appropriate, appropriate this often to every area of our lives except one. And this one area that is something I saw in the Scriptures this week that actually completely blew my mind because I hadn't seen it before is giving. Do you know that the Bible calls giving the act of generosity literally calls it the act of grace. Giving is defined biblically as an act of grace. When God's grace has entered your life, then you no longer hold on to things for yourself. Your question is not how much can I serve myself? The question isn't how much can I do for myself? But instead it becomes how much can I give? How much can I be a part of something bigger? When we started Anchor Church, we were so weary of talking about money in church. And in this... Because of that, I was unfaithful to the Scriptures. I found myself unfaithful to the Bible and to doing what the Bible t told me to do as a pastor because I was too worried that people would think that we, would, that we loved money or that we worried or cared too much about money. And so in the beginning, we said, you know, we're not even going to hand out offering boxes. We're just going to leave a box at the back. And if you'd like to give something, you can contribute. So one month later, we couldn't pay salaries or rent, right? And since that time, we were like so careful. Do we speak about it? Do we help people? And I realized recently God spoke to me, and I realized I had done our church a disservice because I wasn't faithful to disciple them in every area. If Jesus found it necessary to talk to people about it, if Paul found it necessary to talk to people about it, if the Scriptures found it necessary to talk to people about it, because it grips your heart, it's where we find our security, then I need to be faithful to talk to you about it. 
and to disciple you in it, and that all of us would grow to the maturity of Jesus to know that what finances are and how we handle it in our lives so that we can also take a part in this act of grace. So we don't love money. We love the vision that God has given us. But God actually does it this way. He won't fulfill the vision unless people give because otherwise you're not really a part of it. Otherwise, you're not really giving your heart to it. You're not trusting in it. And so this is a way that the Bible actually encourages us in our giving as an act of grace and speaks into it. Look at this scripture. I'd never seen this before. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1 says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. The grace of God. We want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. How did they know that God's grace was in the churches of Macedonia? For in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy. So they had joy in affliction, and their, and their extreme poverty, so they were poor, they were the poorest amongst the churches, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So how did we know the churches of Macedonia had the grace of God? They were poor, yet they gave. Not just a little bit, but in a wealth of generosity. Look at the, the attitude with which they did it. He says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. So nobody's forcing them, nobody's manipulating them, nobody's, uh, you, know, you know, working with them to putting them under any kind of threat of compulsion or, or, or there's going to be a curse if you don't give. Of their own accord, God had worked in their heart. They gave according to their means and beyond of their own accord. Listen to this. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking a part in the relief of the saints. They were begging, please let us be a part of this effort. Please let us give. Please let us, how many of you, when the offering comes around, you're begging, please let me put some money in there. Please let me be a part of this vision. Most of us are thinking, if I don't give, will they know? Like, will they find out? I've done that as well. I've sat in many churches gone, if I don't give, will they realize? We're normally asking the opposite, but when God's grace hits your life, we beg for the opportunity to be a part of it, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, they actually gave themselves to God, and then to us by the will of God. So listen to this, verse 6 says, accordingly, we urged Titus, we spoke to Titus, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. In other words, tell the other people to be as faithful as the Macedonians. God's grace was in their lives. They were able to give, and we should also complete this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you also excel. Not just average, not just a little bit, but excel in this act of grace. See that you excel in generosity. That is the fruit, the proof that you've given yourself to God and you long to give yourself to help others. We're called to excel. Ah, oh, but I don't have enough money. The Macedonians had extreme poverty and they were able to give, literally begging for the privilege to be a part of the mission. A lot of people, when they give, the problem is we've worked hard for our money. We've saved our money. We were diligent about our money. And we have hopes for our money, things we want to accomplish with our money. So it's a part of you. It represents your virtue and your life and the work that you've done. And we view our, our, our money as rightfully ours. I worked for this. Don't ask me to give it. I worked for it. It's mine. But do you see your money as yours or as the result of God's grace in your life? 
Because the Bible says it's actually God who gives us the power to produce wealth. 1, Corinthians, 1 Chronicles 29, 14 says, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We're only stewards of God's money. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 is one of those uncomfortable scriptures. Listen to this. It says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully because it depends whether you're trusting God in a big way or in a small way. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. It's a heart issue, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, which includes financial resource in your hand, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely and he has given to the poor his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower, so God is the one who gives us the seed to be able to sow, and bread for food will take care of your needs, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. You will be enriched so that you can be generous, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So as we give, lives are changed. When we started this church four years ago, we had very few people and no money. And as we've been able to build this church through the faithful giving of people, we've seen God do miracles. We've seen God heal people. We've seen people get saved. We've had countless people send us testimonies of what God has done in our lives. And what Paul is saying, it's because of your giving that people are thanking God. It's because it's not only an act of grace from God that we get to give, but it's an act of grace towards others when we give. We're showing them the grace of God which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So we literally cause people to be able to worship God through this. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission. So giving requires a submission to God's grace that comes from your confession in the gospel. In other words, you trust the gospel, therefore you do what God calls you to do. And the generosity of your contribution this is talking about money. For them and all, for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So as we give, people recognize, oh, thank you, Jesus, there's grace on their life. We've had some people that have stuck with us through thick and thin, no matter what was going on in their personal situations. They hurt themselves in their giving. And at times we were almost like, stop, stop. We, we know you need this money. But you know that through all of it, it produced thanksgiving and lives were changed. And this is the opportunity that we have as we genuinely trust God. And I'm almost done this morning. We're not going to be late for the start of the rugby. But God gives us the grace to give. And then by giving, we introduce others to the grace of God. This is a powerful thing that God does in us as a community we're making a difference so that people may glorify God. Look at this. This is one scripture that has puzzled me every time I've read it and every time I've kind of, you know, it's always stuck with me. It's amazed me. Mark 12 verse 41, speaking about Jesus, says that he sat down opposite the treasury and watched people putting money into the offering box. Just in case you were wondering whether or not an offering box is biblical, it's biblical, okay? 
Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples, Jesus calls his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Jesus is amazed by this woman's faith because she gave everything she had. And can we just pause here for a moment to imagine what it would be like if when the offering boxes came around, what this scripture is saying, just imagine this for a moment. This is, this is what's happening. Like if there was an offering box here in the front and people were coming up and putting money in, which is what they were doing at the time, Jesus literally puts a chair or finds a place to sit opposite the box and watches people give, watches them put money in. Can you imagine if when the offering boxes go around here on a Sunday at Anchor Church, Jesus comes through every aisle, watches the box go around. Oh, that's interesting. I know what you earn. You know, just, can you just imagine for a moment, like if Jesus just would walk and watch our giving? He's actually aware. And we give, oh, we have to give. It's religious. It's routine. It's this. It's that. No, it's faith. Where's your heart at? Where's your relationship with God at? Because Jesus sits and watches the giving. It's not a, a sense of condemnation. This is not about, hey, you better give what you, but it's about God wanting you to trust him more than what you trust in your money. That's why he watches the widow and he calls his disciples. He says, come, come, guys, come look at this. Come and watch this. This is amazing what we've just seen. All these rich people, they have all that money. To them to give, that's nothing. It's nothing. But look at this woman. Look at what she's given. She's put everything she has in the offering. It's an act of trust. Where is my faith at? What is my source who is my provider? Are we playing church? Are we pretending to be Christians and have faith? Or do we trust God wholeheartedly? Because this woman says, I have two coins left. It makes a penny. But I'm putting it in. And so many times when I've read that scripture, I wanted to be Jesus sitting there, jumping up, running over, going, hey, 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 let me get you this penny back. Just, you take this penny. You know what? A lot of other guys have given today. How many of you are like, I don't have to give in church because I know other people are. A lot of other people have given today. There's a lot of money in there. You don't need to worry about it. Keep your penny. Save it for yourself. Why does Jesus not stop her when she gives everything? Why does he watch her and marvel at her faith? Because Luke 6.38 says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. For with, measure, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. See, Jesus didn't stop her because he knew what her faith would activate in her life. How it would produce in her life. And so he doesn't stop her. He encourages his disciples. This is how it should be done. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus, he says, I want to follow you. Jesus said, good, you lack one thing. It's about your heart. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And the reason why Jesus says that is because he knew that this guy trusted in money more than in him. So he couldn't follow Jesus. So here at Anchor Church, we don't want people that are trying to serve two gods. We don't serve money. We serve Jesus. Money is a tool. It's the exhaust fumes of vision. It's the grace of God that we get to sow into eternal purposes. 
He doesn't stop her, Jesus, because he knows that she is putting her faith in God and that will always carry a reward. This is why Paul tells, my last scripture for the morning, he tells Timothy to charge the rich. If you look at, if you look at the people in this room right now, many of us are like, I'm not rich, I'm poor. But there's a website, I think it's called worldsrichlist.com, something like that. You can go and Google it. But basically, if you put your salary in, it will come back with what percentage of the world you're in, in terms of income. And I did it once thinking, I'll probably be around like 50%, 60%, like, you know. Turns out, all of us, if you earn more than 5,000 rand a month, all of us are in the top 1% of what the world earns. 99% of this world is destitute. Millions that don't earn more than 100 rand a day. We all have means. We all have means. And so Paul gives us this, he tells Timothy, a young pastor, tell the rich this. 1 Timothy 6, 17. As for the rich in this present age, that includes all of us, charge them not to be haughty, not to be proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. So I need to tell you, as Paul told Timothy to tell the people, I'm telling you today to be faithful to the scripture. Don't trust in money, but on God who richly provides. That's the crux of it right there. He richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God wants us to enjoy life. They are to do good, to be rich in good works. You can be rich in money and poor in how you live your life. Don't just be rich in money, but be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future that's in heaven so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You can spend all of your money on yourself for the rest of your life. You won't know what life is. But begin to be generous. Begin to give. Begin to share. Begin to to give to the point where it hurts. And you're taking a hold of what life is truly about. It's an incredible grace that God has given us. Don't be proud. Don't trust in money. Be generous because it helps us to take a hold of that which is truly life. It's great grace. It's faith and trust. It's a privilege we can all partake in. And so as we prepare for our Heart for the House giving next Sunday, where we all give towards the vision, I want it to not just be a religious thing that we do, but to pray. How many of you pray about your giving? Pray. God, what do you want me to give? Some of us don't pray about it because we're worried about what God might say. (laughs) God, what do you want me to contribute as an act of faith? And this is a journey that we get to go on as God delivers us from the grip of greed and the fruit of His grace in our lives begins to show itself and it results in people thanking God. Thank you, God, that there was a group of people that, were, that believed enough in you that they gave so that my life could be changed. In heaven one day, people will come up to us and say, thank you for giving, for being a part of, for serving. Because of what you did, my life was changed. We won't even know the amount of people that we would be able to impact in the days that lie ahead. But it will be as a result of your giving. And God sees that. And it's precious to Him. So we have got the grace to do what God has called us to do. And we can take steps, even if previously we thought it wasn't possible. Amen? We're a generous people. It's who we are. It's who we are. We're a generous people. In our lives, in our time, With our money, we're givers. 
It's just who we are. Why are we like that? Because we're like Jesus and He was a giver. God loved so much that He gave. We give because we love. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand with me this morning?